Welcome to The Crux of the Matter, a show by pastors for pastors. This is Pastor Todd Peppercorn. And this is Scott Stigmeyer. Scott Stigmeyer, the pastor, that is to say. That's right. Pastor Scott Stigmeyer. Right. It's easy to forget. I mean, what can you say? Um, Today, we are talking about the topic of restless people. And by restless people, what I mean is individuals that go uh, from church to church, uh, seem to hop back and forth between different places uh, for a lot of different reasons. I know that here in California, this is an extremely mobile area where people are constantly coming and going. And so it's, frankly, Scott, it's almost difficult sometimes to uh, figure out who's coming and who's going, which is very troubling as a pastor. Do you have that problem? Yeah, we do. Uh, And pastors, you know, we like for things to stay put. And uh, we're not, being the kind of pastors that we are, we're not particularly fond of change either. So that's always makes it even more complicated. Right, right. But there are different ways of comings and goings for people, uh, I think maybe what we can start with is asking the questions of what are what are good reasons to change churches and what are bad reasons to change churches? Yeah, obviously, if you're uh, obviously, if you're changing jobs and you have to move, that would be a good reason. Although so re- honestly, relocation, right? Relocation. Although that does kind of bring up the other strange circumstance of I have any number of people that are that are listed as members here that live, you know, Timbuk three all over, literally all over the country, and every once in a while I'll ask, you know I'll contact them and ask Have you found another church? What are you going to do? And uh, and their answer is basically, well, we haven't settled down on a church yet, and we'd like to just keep our membership at Holy Cross. So that moving ought to be a good reason, but often doesn't even happen that time, which is, yeah, yeah. frankly, terribly frustrating for a pastor. Well, especially since— At least since for this you, pastor. Yeah. I mean, we like to have our roles actually represent— worshipers and um, when you have people on your roles that you know can't possibly worship with you it's not even a matter of whether they would want to or not they live in a different right. state and uh, you know we want our we want our it makes some sense for our records to indicate actual people and actual you know actual uh, sheep that can be there and also you care about the souls of those who are out there and, and are seemingly having a hard time finding a place to land well, and pastoral, pastoral care really means tending the sheep. That means feeding, that means watering, that means guarding, guarding and protecting from the wolves. It means that there is an actual relationship that develops between the pastor and his congregation. Um, it is not simply a, a relationship of, well, it's, you know, I'm going to turn in my dues and we'll kind of make it happen from there. Right, right. But well, I, I think, think a lot of, I think a lot no, of people ahead. see. Okay, I think a lot of people see church membership though as as just sort of look. I'm paying for my dues, or my family has been a founding family of this congregation, and whether or not I'm in worship with you, 
I still see myself as a member there. And, you know, that's a different model, a different aspect of looking at what church should be. So maybe before we really get into the why people leave, the underlying question or one of the underlying questions is, what does it mean to be a member of a church? Absolutely. I think we have to, <laughs> perhaps we should define that first because we can't assume anything these days. No, I you think. really can't. And and furthermore, uh, because the church is such a uh, is such a unique institution, it's such a unique entity that really makes it so that uh, people don't have any baseline. They don't have any way to they don't have any way to even make a comparison. The closest to church membership, I think, if you were to look at a parallel, is really that of a family. Yeah, and that may frankly be why this is such a challenge. Because even thinking of the family as an institution that is permanent is not exactly popular today. So I guess it shouldn't surprise us that people think of churches as pretty sort of almost disposable. If families have become functionally disposable or nearly disposable as well. Well, not only do we see families as disposable, but we see them as infinitely malleable, that they're customizable, that we can shape them to our preferences. And if we can shape families to our preferences, they're infinitely malleable. Then if that's sort of our closest approximation to what it means to belong to a congregation, we think that that relationship should be malleable too, that we should be able to shape it to fit our particular wants and our whims. Right. And that is, um, and that really, truly turns the the whole relationship on its ear. That really makes it so that my understanding of what it means to be a pastor is no longer as a shepherd that has a permanent relationship with these people. But frankly, now I have to, I really have to be a salesman. Yeah, I have to continually uh, sell the relationship to the people for the fear that they are going to uh that they're going that they're going to disappear that they're going to leave or we might we might if we want to sanctify this a little bit not say that it's a salesman type model but an evangelism type model that you know like John Paul II talks about the re-evangelization of Europe we have people that are in our churches that need evangelization, you know, the, and and the reason that they have a loose relationship with us as in, in the ministry and the means of grace isn't just because they are busy and they need they need another product, but that they are uh, they don't know the un- gospel. They, they don't really get the gospel yet. Maybe I mean yeah. I think that there's an element of that. I think we have to just simply say that that there's an element of evangelization that needs to take place within our own congregations. And I'm not, well, I mean, and, I'm, I'm no different than you. I mean, I think that's the oh, same Oh, sure. Way. Well, and, and in many respects, that's, um, I think that's a part of the problem is that, frankly, Scott, that's not very sexy. No. That's not very, that's not very exciting work. It is much more exciting work to say, well, I have a heart for unbelievers, and so I'm going to have somebody else, whoever this else is, take care of the people that are already here, and I'm going to go and reach out to the people that are not are not here. Now, there is 
obviously a place for that, and we'll definitely talk about that in the future. But, um, but what we're really talking about here is how do I care for the people that are right here in front of me, that God has, in fact, entrusted to me as the pastor uh, to take care of? And why is that, why is that so hard? Well, um, if, if, if I may, I think one thing that helps, and this may sound rough or, or harsh, but, you know, our Lord does tell us not to cast pearls before swine. I mean, there is a point at which, you know, I do stop worrying about a person because I think, you know what, they've, they've separated themselves. I can't, I can't be responsible for their, their absence or their misbehavior or their cho- the choices that they make on what they do on Sunday morning. Right. So, I mean, there's a point which you have to say, you know, Jesus talks about if you go into a village and, and they don't receive you, he doesn't say stay there and, and harangue them till they do. You know, he says, leave and shake the dust off your feet. And I'm not saying that lightly. And I wouldn't right. say that we do that easily, but that there is a time when we just think, you know what, they may stay on the roster for a while, but I'm not going to be burning up all the calories of my of my energy on people that are not interested, you know, we are in a sense a coalition of the willing. And you right. want to make sure that, yeah, you want to make sure you're using your energy for people that want to hear the gospel as well. And it's a balance and it's impossible for, for one pastor to, you know, sort of say you have to fit this exact way. It's different in every situation. And and I think that the the flip side of that, of course, is the is the parable of the lost sheep mm-hmm. that that. Our Lord seeks out the lost and it leaves and, the ninety nine. And, and right, it leaves the ninety nine. So so what what does it mean as a pastor to say uh and, and I do think that there's a tension there. I know that I feel that tension, that I don't want to give up on somebody. And and very often when someone leaves my congregation, and to some degree it doesn't even matter why. If someone leaves my congregation, there is always going to be one part of me as a pastor that's going to say, that's my fault. Yeah. yeah I, sure. am a, I am a failure in this, in this way. What if I had said this? What if I had done this? What if I would have visited them more? What if, you know, I, the, the list goes on and on and on of the what ifs. And, and I think that that's, that's a part of what I want to try and figure out today and, and talk about is, all right, so first off, sometimes I am a failure. Great shock, I know. Um, sometimes people do leave a congregation because of something that someone has done. Maybe mm-hmm. it's a pastor. Maybe it's another parishioner. There can be uh, real or perceived real or perceived reasons. I'll, I'll tell you what, Scott. Let's just for the sake of argument. Let's let's take. Uh, the case study of someone leaving the congregation that is not physically moving away, that, you know, that there are no, in my mind at least, there are no good reasons for them to leave. Um, what is my responsibility toward that person? And what is my relationship to that person? How do I, how do I care for them as a pastor? That's that I think is a is a really tough question. Yeah, 
but I and I do. So think if you'd that, answer that, that'd be great. <laughs> and I do think the reason, though, of course, you know, it does matter. I mean, if if someone is abandoning the gospel, I mean, if if you know that someone is saying, I just don't, I just don't buy it. You know, I'm not buying this anymore. And, right. Um, I mean, that's one thing. I, you know, you would look at them a little differently than someone who says, you know what, you really tick me off. I'm sick of the way you preach, and you know I'm sick of the fact that you know with someone who has sort of a personal grievance, that's a totally different animal, I think. Right. Um, right. You know, and 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 sometimes people leave, and they should leave. Um, right. You, you know, it's it's better for the church that they leave if they have sort yep. of a, they might be sowing seeds of dis- dissension otherwise. Um, right. Which is definitely not something that we either of us would want. I sure, don't know. Sure. I mean, I think I, I, I often maybe maybe I wrestle with this. Maybe I'm not as empathetic as you I, I, because I think sometimes we wrestle with this a little too much and just worry about it too much. You can't you can't control what people do. Well, and and you've actually hit on on what I think is a part of the part of the challenge for me. I obviously can't speak for every pastor everywhere, but for me, I am a recovering control freak. Sometimes mm-hmm. I am more recovering, sometimes less recovering. And so when a, when a situation with uh, an individual or a family is not within my control in my congregation to the point where, where someone, someone leaves, um, I have guilt over that because, because I can't control the situation. Now that is on me. That is not actually on them um, because I have to kind of get over the fact that I can't control. I can't control other people. That's not one of the uh, I don't have a magic wand that I can that I can use to kind of make people do what I want. And, and that's not uh, that that's not how it that's not how it works. Not in the, no, not in the no. church, not in the body of Christ. But. I think that as pastors, we set ourselves up to believe that if somebody comes, that's because I'm so awesome. Right, right. And if somebody leaves, that's because I'm so horrible. Right. And frankly, I think that's putting us in the center of the conversation when we shouldn't be. Yeah, it's that not it, about you. It's not about it's me. It's not about it's not about the pastor. No. Um if and if it is in some circumstances there are occasional as I said there are times of personal conflict or when you know when there when there is sin involved on the part of the pastor but by and large I would say uh it is not simply a matter of of the pastor uh that there are, is a whole host of other things and people involved, and we kind of have to learn how to get over ourselves. Yes, we do. And and if I may say just sort of a related comment, I'm not trying to change subjects, but I know that we have at least some of our listeners are pastors and some of them are newer pastors. And let me just say one thing that I've I've learned having served in a couple of different settings, and that is that whenever you are new to a place— People will leave simply because you're the, you're not the old the former guy. There are yeah, every every right. pastor experiences this. Whether you know you might be the best thing, you might be the absolute best pastor in the world for that church for that time, but because you're not your predecessor, or because you don't fit their expectations, 
there will be people that leave always. There will always be people that leave when a new pastor comes in. And there will be new people that show up because, or old people that had left because they didn't like your predecessor who returned. And right. that's normal, and that happens in every congregation to an extent. I mean, that's not an excuse for driving everyone away, but it is, I think, something that new pastors might not realize and then become a little afraid once they start to see people jump and bail. Yep. A few yep. at a time. That's that's a good that's a good point, and uh, and we have to we have to be a little bit circumspect as pastors about these comings and goings. And I, I believe me when I say I am speaking to myself here, because uh, comings and goings are the are in many respects the hardest things the hardest thing that a pastor deals with is. Uh, is why does somebody leave? So, so let's let's take a couple um, let's take a couple case studies and just sort of and just sort of think through this on how I might how I might serve these people pastorally. Um, before before we do that, though, I want to take just a moment and uh, and remind people how to find us. You can find us at thecruxofthematter.net. This episode you can find at thecruxofthematter.net slash podcast slash nine and you can get a hold of scott and i by emailing feedback at the crux of the matter dot net we've been starting to get a little bit of feedback scott mostly it has been uh it's been feedback that's been hey great show thanks a lot or um i i really resonated with what you were saying there um, I had one uh, one person that considered a, that was considering the call that wrote and said, "I heard my own story in this segment about receiving calls," uh, and, and we really appreciate all of that feedback and keep it coming. This is kind of what helps us figure out what what to talk about and why and how. So back to our uh, back to our regularly scheduled program. Um, when someone is uh, when someone leaves the congregation or or you let let's put it this way when you catch wind of someone <laughs> leaving the congregation which is right. more likely in right. my experience the pastors if not the last person nearly the last person to find out that that someone has left i can't even count how many times i've had oh so and so is now eastern orthodox or is now going to bayside or is going to this or that church and they've been gone for 2 years well, uh, that would have been nice for me to know. Um, so I catch wind that someone is uh, is considering leaving. What do you do as a pastor in that case? Yeah, well, I'm like you in that I often, that's often how it comes about. Uh, usually, it's not a surprise. I mean, occasionally yeah, I will be, I'll be... Occasionally, I'll be floored. You know that I mean, I might be floored by what, but usually, when someone says, "Well, so and so joined the ELCA," well, I'm not surprised because there was something brewing, or they've been gone. Like you said, if if someone has been absent for a length of time, then right. you can just assume there's something going on, whether it has to do with church membership or they just have personal problems or or, or health or something, right? And I, you know, I, I have different minds on it. I mean, I suppose in, hypothetically what we ought to do is we probably ought to reach out and make contact yep. with the, make first contact. 
Sometimes yep. I don't do that. Sometimes when I should, sometimes I do that when I should probably give them some space and I go, right. you know, and I rush up to them a little too, too eagerly, but, but probably my temptation is to just ignore it and hope it goes away. But right. that's right. not and, responsible. And that's pastoring. sort of, no, and that's sort of classic uh, conflict avoidance. Yes, which, absolutely. Which I also, uh, I think most pastors are, most humans are going yeah. to struggle with to some yeah. degree or another. Um, so in some fashion, we ought to, we ought to reach out to them. Uh, I think it's reasonable to say uh, if, if, if the problem is with you specifically, that you should that you should try to reach out, but that it might also be helpful to ask someone else to do so as well. Yeah. Uh, this may be an elder, this may be a deaconess, this may be somebody else. If there's a if there is a uh, a conflict, um, that's definitely uh, I, I think we have thinking of this as a family that it is reasonable to expect other people to be involved in some capacity with that conversation. And plenty of times, a part of what you find happening is if somebody leaves, what happens when somebody leaves and nobody notices? Right. Because that, that, that happens too, tragically. Um, and, and this yeah, is something no that I, I really, no, it's not good. But it, and, th- and there may be lots of reasons for that. Uh, in my in my case, and I expect in yours, uh, I think that in people's mind, what's going on is, oh well, they must have gone to the other service. We have two services on Sunday morning, and so, in any given time, you're only seeing half of the congregation at most. So it it is really difficult for most congregate most parishioners, I think, to sort of keep track of who is who's coming and who's not coming. Um, do you use some sort of a membership tracking software, Scott? Oh, yeah, we do, but we don't really. I mean, we do keep yeah. track of attendance, but I wouldn't say that we actually make use of that information in a productive way. I yeah. I have a small enough church where I can I can usually note it. I've been here long enough. I mean, when you're new, you can't you don't right. know these patterns yet. But I've been here long enough and I and I know everyone well enough and I know where people sit. And when someone's not sitting in their normal space, I frequently notice. I won't. And I won't say that I always do, but I, I frequently do notice before the elders will, or before anyone else will say something to me. I might know. Sure. And I and I will try to reach out, but um, I wouldn't say I won't confess that I'm a hundred percent consistent on that. No, no, and nobody is. I'm cert. I'm certainly not. Um, yeah, we have a. Uh, we have we use Shepherd Staff, which is Concordia Publishing House's uh, tracking software. Honestly, I'm not super happy with it. First of all, because the the interface is is really old and kludgy, and it just makes me crazy. Uh, and secondly, and more importantly, is because it's tied to a specific computer, and so the only way of actually getting onto that database is for me to go into the secretary's office and to look at it. And and that's just not going to happen. That's the last century. Not, right. It's, it's certainly not going to happen consistently. Uh, we're looking at, um, at a, different, 
a different church church membership tracking software that would deal with offerings and kind of do all this kind of stuff. And we should probably talk about that in a future episode. But um, in the ideal world, if I were if I were the pope of the church, which I am not, but if I were the pope of the church, what I would want is for uh, three or four different people to be involved in that tracking process so that I, so that including myself, so that I had kind of real time, real data and not just the, well, who actually signed in on the books? Well, who signed in on the books and who's there are two totally different oh, things. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and the secretaries, of course, sort of or whomever it is that's entering in that attendance data, they start to know the patterns. Um, but and they and they may start to do those corrections, but maybe not. In my mind, what what would be ideal would be to have uh, a secretary or some, or whomever do the initial kind of data attendance dump and then have have me and one or two other people, maybe even elders, examine those on a regular basis. Now that that requires some some discipline, which is difficult. But often what what I have found happen with people that leave is that there's a there is a real some kind of spiritual crisis. Maybe it's self-inflicted, maybe it's inflicted from someone else, maybe it's it's circumstantial. There's some, you know, some event happens in their life that changes their pattern of, of coming and of hearing the gospel. Uh, if I am able to sort of catch that early, and it does sort of sound a little like a disease, doesn't it? Hmm. If I'm able to catch it early, um, I can do some, some diagnosis with them. And can try and and can try and offer the healing balm, the gospel. Uh, if I let it go, uh, the longer that you let it go, the harder it is. And that is really the problem. Is all right. So what do I do with the person who hasn't been here since 2010? Well, I don't even know where to begin. I probably ought to begin by apologizing, <laughs> honestly. Like, yeah. Um, but that's the. That's the thing, and if I, if I can if I can address it regularly instead of um, instead of in a sort of random or semi-random fashion, it's much more likely to be effective. That's at least that's what I think ought to be the case. Whether that is in fact the case, I don't know, but that's that's how I think it ought to work. Yeah, I agree. And I think that if you, I mean, that that is certainly an area where traditionally elders have been assistants to the pastor, where you sure. have the zones of the city. If you have your city or your, at least your membership roster broken into zones where right. each, each elder has a certain number of families that they're sort of responsible for and that they would be the ones who would who, who would be trying to notice when people are not there for more than two weeks in a row. And they, you might notice it, but you, you've already got someone on it and they may bring it to your attention or they may just make a phone call themselves, which is always great when someone takes initiative just to do it. And it's okay for an elder to make a phone call like that. It's okay for another church member, just as a loving Christian fellow congregant to give someone a phone call or shoot off an email and say, hey, we haven't seen you in a little bit. It doesn't always right. have to just land on the pastor's head. 
especially right. if you have a large church and you're, there's no way you can just eyeball the crowd and see who's there and know who's not there. After you get to a certain point, that's just impossible, unrealistic. It is. It is. And, and there is certainly a case when somebody uh, leaves, they've, you know, they've, they've decided it's done, whatever the reason is, that I as a pastor need to, I, I kind of have to decide, okay, is this a matter of, of church discipline? Is this something where they have sinned? And they they don't want uh, they don't want to be confronted with their sins, so they've left. Um, or is this a matter of uh, I'll I'll say this uh, this kind of spiritual malaise malaise that that just comes out, or or even the desire to find something new. Some some families just uh, have a very difficult time staying settled in one place. That is mm-hmm. just the reality, and uh, I, I suppose I could, I would argue that that is the result of sin. But I think it would be hard to pin down that exactly being a sin. Uh, if, 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 the, if our dear listeners can tell me how that's a sin, please email us at feedback at the crux of the matter dot net. <laughs> Maybe we should play games that a sin mm-hmm. or not. Um, but. Uh, but at some point, you you do really have to simply release them, recognizing that you're going to be spending so much of your time and energy, emotional energy, as well as physical energy, in trying to trying to care for someone that frankly doesn't want to be cared for anymore, yeah. and maybe even is under someone else's care and you don't know it. Ugh, yeah. it's messy. It's yeah. very messy. Yeah. Um, I want to I want to mention before we kind of finish out this topic, um, one uh, one parable of our Lord and one hymn. Um, the parable, of course, is the parable of the sower from Luke chapter eight. Uh, and what you see in that parable is, I would argue, a a description of the of the spiritual condition of the people to whom we preach. Um, you know, the seed is the word of God, and some on the path of those who have heard, looking at verse 12 and following, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts that they may not believe and be saved. The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word of God, receive with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Um as for those in good soil, there are those who are hearing the word, hold fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Well, that is a description of the people who are actually hearing the word. I would, uh, I would contend that that is not a description, at least not necessarily, of the world as a whole, but of, of those who hear the word. Does yeah. that mean that our uh, pew sitters? Maybe. That certainly, that description sounds like precisely what we've been talking about for the last half an hour. Oh yeah, of of some who come, some who some who leave because of uh, tribulation, some who leave because of uh, uh, the cares and riches and pleasures of life, uh, and that people leave for all sorts of reasons. So, so what comfort does the pastor receive? 
in all of that? Is there is there a good side to this story or are we just kind of uh, uh, are we just doomed? <laughs> no, we're not just doomed, but we are just servants. And uh, yeah. it's, it's not my it's not my show. It's not your show. It's not up to us. Right. This isn't this isn't my organization. It's not my responsibility. Ultimately, you know, to 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 win hearts, I'm I'm to I'm to be used as a tool, as best as I can. And I'm I'm a flawed vessel, and very yeah. flawed. And I just have to, you know, I don't want to sound psychobabble, but to a certain extent, you just have to accept your limitations. You have limits in what you can be can right. expected to actually do with human beings right and you might be and the other thing is i always point this out todd is as a pastor you asked me you just said what's the comfort for the pastor and i say well on one hand remember this you can't be good at everything being a pastor in a typical congregation requires you to wear a bunch of different hats a bunch of different skills go into this and you can't be equally right. good at every single one of them. And so there are going to be areas where you just simply are not strong. And one of those might be, unfortunately, might be interpersonal or might be dealing with conflict. Some people can do that rather well and do it with great maturity and do it with tact and do it with kindness. But other people just are not great at it. And sometimes you can improve those skills, but. Sure, there's some sure. there's some comfort in just recognizing your limitations and and I don't think that we should assume that that God doesn't also recognize our limitations. I think that this hymn from Martin Franzman that I that I mentioned uh at least a little bit kind of encapsulates that. It's based on that on that Luke 8 uh it's hymn 586 out of Lutheran service book preach you the word. Uh I want to read just a couple couple stanzas of it, not all of it, but um, we know how hard, O Lord, the task your servant bade us undertake to preach your word and never ask what prideful profit it may make. The sower sows his reckless love, scatters abroad the goodly seed, intent alone that all may have the wholesome loaves that all men need. Though, Though some be snatched and some be scorched and some be choked and matted flat, the sower sows, his heart cries out, oh, what of that and what of that? Of all his scattered plenteousness, one-fourth waves ripe on hill and flat and bears a harvest hundredfold. Ah, uh, what of that, Lord, what of that? Preach you the word and plant at home and never faint. The harvest Lord who gave the sower seed to sow will watch and tend his planted word. And that's kind of, I think, a nice ending to recognize that this is his word, not our word. Yeah. It is his ministry, not our ministry. And he is the one who ultimately will see see things through to their completion. And I, for one, find a lot of comfort in that because if it was just left to me, I would have ruined it long ago. Yeah, I'm with you. Hmm. Yeah. Well, let's uh, uh, let's let's close up on that on that conversation. I think there's lot obviously lots more to talk about with that. Um, I did have one one article that uh, that I mentioned on Facebook yesterday that we were going to be talking about this subject, and one of our listeners pointed out an article. The title of the article is "How to Break Up with Your Church," um, written by a pastor, I believe, in Missouri. And I would commend it to you to uh, to take a read. 
and uh, and look at it and see how well that coincides with our conversation here. Uh, maybe we can talk about that more and follow up next week. So is anything bringing you joy this week or should I go first? Well, why don't you go first? I do have something, but go ahead. All right. Um, what's bringing me joy is, uh, is a short bit of my own uh, geekery here. Uh, in this case, it is a writing program. The name of the program is called Ulysses. Ulysses 2.0 for Mac and iOS. It was just released today. Uh, Scott, this is a, a basically a writing tool for organizing and presenting your writing material, and it's designed to make the text be front and center. So it doesn't have a lot of stuff using formatting behind it. It is really intended to be a very text-centric way of writing, and it syncs up really nicely with your iPad, um, so you can bring that on the road, and it'll... It's a great little program. I've just started to unpack it a little bit. The previous version was good. Uh, the iOS version is new today, but I'm very excited about uh, about this. One of my ongoing areas of interest is how do we go about what is the process of of writing and preaching sermons, and uh, and I think that this is this is going to be another another way into that conversation. So I'm really really going to enjoy digging into this program. Is it kind of like Scrivener? It is similar to Scrivener. I would say that it is more text central than Scrivener. Scrivener uh, is another fantastic program I use a lot. Uh, Scrivener does not have a, an iOS app or an Android app. Uh, they're working on them, I understand, but they're not available yet. There are other ways that you can sync things to make to, so that you can do writing in Scrivener and then also in another device. But it is kind of similar. I would put it, um, it doesn't do as much as Scrivener, but in some respects, what it does do, it does better than Scrivener. Mm, mm. Yeah, that's interesting. So, yeah. I'll have to check yep. that out. Yep, but it's, yep, it's fun. It's I've fun. Only, so I've what's only bringing just you joy? I've just begun to use Scrivener, and I like it a lot. It's helped me with a couple of yeah. pro writing projects I've been working on. What's giving me joy? I don't know if that's really the best word for this. Um, I'm going to say what's what's really giving me a lot of food for thought and satisfaction. And it's a book, of course. I uh, don't always choose books, but tonight today's another one. And, uh, you know, it's from Focus on the Family. It's from an evangelical author named Glenn Stanton. But the title of it is Loving My LGBT Neighbor. Hmm. And it is, I think, an outstanding book. It is very, very helpful. Now, he doesn't, I mean, he, of course, upholds traditional biblical moral teaching, being from focus right. on the family. That's why I mentioned that, I, that you're not going to doubt that he upholds traditional moral teaching that I find to be good. But he also right. recognizes that we have LGBT people in our congregations or or relatives of LGBT people in our congregations. Sure. They're, they, they're in our families. Uh, they're in our neighborhoods. And I don't mean to sound, make that sound like some kind of a Martian invasion or something, but it's just a right. statement of fact that while the media may hype and overhype 
the commonness of of the gayness of, of being gay, but we don't want to underplay that either and, and think, well, it doesn't affect me at all. Well, no, it most certainly does affect the members of your church, and that affects me as a pastor. So what he does is he just kind of uses the scripture and walks through how to be a good friend and how to be a good neighbor in grace and truth without compromise to people who have wildly different or radically different views on life. And you could apply hmm. some of his you could apply some of his principles if you have someone in your family that you just simply don't get along with. I mean, he's got some very good tips on just simply how to be a good friend. I think you could even sure. say that. How to be a good friend. Interesting. And do you have to be in order to be friends with somebody, do you have to agree with them on on even big questions? Is it possible to be friends with people that you disagree with? Like, could you be friends, Todd, with a Jehovah Witness? If your next door neighbor was a Mormon, could you imagine a friendship happening there or not? Sure. And um, yeah. anyway, he, he challenges us. He challenges the church to befriend people who are of the world. And I find it to be a really helpful book. And so I'm actually going to do a seminar this weekend at my church called Loving My LGBT Neighbor. And it's based on this. I'm just simply going to rehearse this book for, for the attendees. So I recommend it. Interesting. Uh, read it. And, you know, if anybody has has read it and wants to comment on it, we'd love to hear about it. Even if you yeah. read it and have a different evaluation than I gave, feel free. Hmm. Excellent. Excellent. Once again, you're costing me money, Scott. <laughs> you got to stop that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'll be buying the Ulysses, too, so thank you. <laughs> well, there you go. So a tit for tat, I suppose. Uh, I think that that should do it for us for this week. This has been, a, a, I think, a very interesting very interesting episode. I uh, appreciate all of your insights, Scott. And, uh, and I look forward to talking to you next week. Yeah, likewise. All righty. See you all later. Bye. <laughs>